0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Rectangle Health Podcast. Very excited for today's episode, Increasing Your Case Acceptance, and to be joined by Tyler Johnson, CEO of Healthcare Finance Direct, and Michelle Dowling, Executive Vice President of Marketing here at Rectangle Health. Tyler, Michelle, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks, Gary. Um, Before we get started here, I'd love to give our audience a chance to learn a little bit about you both. Tyler, can you tell us about your work at Healthcare finance direct and sort of the evolution of the organization over the years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Ironically, HFD was actually built on the back of the Great Recession in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and it was basically built on the idea that a patient's credit score shouldn't determine their propensity to pay. And a very noble idea, especially coming off of uh, you know the Great Recession, and a lot of people's credit scores were really hurt. You know, people lost their employment, and so people that were typically a 750 FICO, all of a sudden dropped down to 650, and then we're getting decline. Um, coupled with just the combination of prime lenders like a care credit, when the economy gets tougher, they tighten up their scorecards. They want to prove less people. All the while, in healthcare, demand just constantly rises. You know, the demand for a root canal or industry doesn't go away when the economy does a downturn. And so the idea was how can we create a more access to care? patients and for about eight years the idea was mostly just to approve turndowns for for care credit you know the the customers that were typically denied by a prime lender so so that's what we did we we uh, created a system that allowed a provider to build payment plans for customers and serve every customer that was otherwise walking out their door or weren't able to to get the the treatment that they needed and you know where we really evolved i would say during covid about two years ago we just recognized that the landscape was changing buy now, pay later became a favorable thing where, you know, we were in buy now, pay later before it became popular. We recognized, we had kind of figured this out for, for years and we didn't really know it. And so we really evolved as a company to, you know, let's just embrace being a total solution. Let's be a complete top of funnel finance company that can approve anybody from an 850 FICO score all the way down to someone with a zero FICO score with very little credit history and if we could be that total solution for providers, we think we could you know, change the market. And, and that's really what's happened over the past couple of years. And it's uh, allowed our business to take off and really it's been able to serve a lot of, You know, primarily our mission is to serve the underserved. So, you know, we're, we're able to double depending, sometimes triple case
0: acceptance, which is, has been really exciting. Amazing, Tyler, thank you so much. Michelle, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how Rectangle Health has been shaping what's possible in the healthcare industry?
2: Sure, Gary. I'm Michelle Dowling, and I'm currently the Executive Vice President of Marketing here at Rectangle Health. I've been in the healthcare technology field for about eight years. And what drives me every day at my job is that at Rectangle Health, we enable providers to connect with their patients. And when our company was first launched, we enabled this connection primarily through the patient payment and aimed to get providers paid at the time of treatment. This original technology was a payment terminal. And since then, we've built out our own software platform to allow providers to engage with their patients. And this platform is centered around payments, whether it be online, website, or mobile device, but also includes integration into the practice management system. And With this technology, we've seen providers have better relationships with their patients. So if you fast forward to today, we've developed out the platform and we keep asking ourselves how we can further engage patients through our technology And COVID was a significant catalyst for this, as we were continuing to make a deeper transition to digital, whether it be digital forms, to leave a card on file, send patients a text. No one wants to touch a clipboard, paper or pen, answer their phone, or even open a physical piece of mail anymore. So our focus has always been to create tools that simplify the practices day to day and make a difference in the patient experience at the practice.
0: Thank you both for coming on the podcast. So let's get into it, and I'll start with you, Michelle. Can you give us your take on the current state of healthcare payments on the practice side?
2: Of course. Today, we know that most practices are facing severe labor shortages, from the front desk to the back office billing staff. We know that increasing costs and inflation is on everyone's mind, and these are among the most biggest concerns when it comes to the financial health of the healthcare organization. We can't overlook what's happening on the patient side as well, as Americans owe hundreds of billions of dollars in medical debt, and there's one in five that can't even pay for a medical bill. So many people report that they delay or go without care because of cost, whether it be because they can't afford the out-of-pocket responsibility, they're not covered by insurance, they've lost their job. And what's alarming about this is that avoidance of care leads to more and more issues. When they forego treatment of milder conditions or routine care, it becomes more serious and ultimately will lead to more costly treatments over time. So what we're aiming to do for the practice, and what we've seen over the past few years, is that many organizations are adopting automation to improve efficiencies, offer more payment options, and utilize technology to capture more information digitally.
0: Thanks so much, Michelle. It's definitely a snowball effect when you avoid those treatments. Um, and then it just seems to get worse and worse. So combining the power of people and technology is definitely uh, going to help increase case acceptance. Tyler, I want to get your thoughts from a little bit of a different angle. What are you seeing and hearing about patients being able to make payments and receive treatment?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So to piggyback off of what Michelle is saying there is consumers are just demanding a more consumerized, for lack of a better word, experience. You know, they're they're used to being able to purchase and check out on their phone, make appointments, schedule things. And Historically in healthcare, it's been a rather slow to adopt a more consumer-driven experience. And so what, what I think consumers are demanding is just an easy way to be approved and to be checked out and to and to just know what their options are, ideally, even before they come in office. I think overall on the payment side though, what we're seeing right now, especially in the macro economy with inflation and you know, people are trying to determine whether or not they pay their car payment or you know their medical bill, it's extremely important that people have affordability options especially the younger generation. That's something that's really changed is, you know, this new generation is used to paying everything through a subscription-based model. You know, they're used to paying their Netflix or most of their bills are actually paid monthly. Being able to turn something that used to be a $3,000 procedure into hundred dollars a month just really increases that affordability, that access to care. And we have some, some offices that do upwards of 50, 60% of their volume through financing. Just because that affordability matters so much, and just some interesting statistics around that: fifty-seven percent of people actually live paycheck to paycheck, and so being able to come out of pocket to to pay a two, three, sometimes five thousand dollar bill, and it's it's tough to do. And and one thing I th- thought was interesting is over twenty-eight percent of people that make over two hundred thousand dollars actually still live in paycheck to paycheck, and that's something that is we have to be both cautious about and just guarded on. Is that you know we've been in a increase in economy ever since 2008, 2009, Expansed, uh recessions happen. And one thing that typically happens when there's a little bit of a downturn is prime customers, people that used to be, you know, qualified as a care credit customer, those people actually become more volatile in a, in a downturn like this, where historically, they may only default on their payments one to 2% of the time, but in a downturn could default five or 6%. And so it doesn't seem like much but it's two to three hundred percent increase in, in defaults. And when your models are built on that, I mean it makes it somewhat unsustainable for the capital side. So what you'll start seeing is people like Care Credit and a lot of big players on the prime lending side again starting start to tighten their their scorecard and approve less people. You know, over the past 10 years they may have approved 50% of customers, you know, they, they may only approve 30 to 40% going forward and sometimes even less. And so that just leaves less options available in the market and makes it even more imperative on, on the practice to make sure they have a total solution in place. So no customers left behind.
0: Yeah, those are definitely some eyebrow-raising stats. And so given this current state, Tyler, can you share some a few other roadblocks standing in the way of patients being able to afford and receive that care?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I touched on approvals. Approval rates matter. They matter for a lot of different reasons. Uh, a lot of times there's people that just don't even apply at all because they think they won't qualify. And uh, so you get some self-selection and that leads to some additional self-fulfilling prophecy there. You got you have treatment coordinators that don't want to offer financing as often because they they really just don't want to decline people. I mean, it's in their nature to want to serve everybody. And if they know they're only getting 30, 40, 50% approved, they're a lot more hesitant to push financing. And the second thing that happens is, you know, what we call partial approvals. So if they need $4,000 worth of treatment, but a bank will only approve them for, you know, $500 or $1,000 or $2,000, then it really doesn't doesn't meet the need of the ask. So even though we're saying 50% approval, some of those approvals might not actually be good enough to cover the the actual treatment that's needed. So I think the big, the big theme around that is just how can you make it so that this is built for the treatment coordinators? How can you make it so that the treatment coordinators have everything they need to be able to serve every customer? And that's really what the market has been demanding. You know, before 10 years ago, five years ago, the market wasn't there yet, both on the consumer side and the provider side, but it's absolutely clear now that the providers and the patients are demanding a a total solution. That's really insightful,
0: Tyler, and I think that's actually a perfect segue into the recent partnership between Rectangle Health and Healthcare Finance Direct, and Michelle, I want to ask you if you could give us some background into the Care Now Pay Later program.
2: Sure, Gary. It was back in early 2021 when Rectangle Health introduced Care Now, Pay Later as a healthcare specific response to retail's mega payment trend, Buy Now, Pay Later. And as a consumer, Buy Now, Pay Later is now part of our everyday journey. You see it on websites, as you check out, the option to break a payment into smaller chunks over time. Now, when you're buying a TV or checking out your Amazon cart, paying off tangible items and goods are just part of the norm. And back to Tyler's point about car payments, right? We don't buy cars in cash, right? We go into the dealership. We figure out a finance plan based on an amount per month on what we can afford with a predetermined end date. While at Rectangle Health, we created Care Now Pay Later because what I just described doesn't translate to healthcare. Frankly, for us in the healthcare industry, it's always centered around care, and we focus solely on healthcare. And it's our mission to help practitioners provide care and allow patients to pay for their care. So what's so interesting about the concept of buy now, pay later, it's actually always existed in healthcare. We can compare that to an orthodontist for anyone who's put braces on their child's teeth knows that you don't pay for braces upfront. You pay a specific amount over a specified amount of time. So this is not something new. However, what's different now is everything that Tyler described as those barriers to care and that, these, that installment payments over time is pervasive in retail sectors it often looks like a viable option for healthcare providers, but we need to be wary of leading patients to financing that actually creates debt and pushes them deeper into extensions of credit. So Care Now Pay Later is as a compassionate way to provide options to patients and make care more accessible because we know that patients want to pay for care. They want to get care. And patients have a relationship and often establish care plans with their providers and need to continue seeing them. So working with them to establish a plan to afford care is important in this continual effective relationship and is what led us to our partnership with Healthcare Finance Direct.
0: Really amazing, Michelle. This program really gives patients and practices the ability to say yes to care. Um, Tyler, I want to shift to you. Um, Care now, pay later versus buy now, pay later. What's the difference?
1: Yeah, good question. So buy now pay later, as as Michelle mentioned, is basically, you know, you buy buy the the goods or service and <clears throat> historically it's been offered as a way to split up payments into what oftentimes is, you know, three, four, or five payments, oftentimes over a couple of weeks. And so the actual extension of credit is is nice and it helps with affordability. Uh usually it's Again, maybe a three to four month extension of credit. Historically, it's been focused on smaller dollar amounts—three, four, or five hundred dollars. I believe the average ticket size for a buy, typical buy now, pay later company is around three hundred dollars, which again is is good for something you're buying on Amazon, you know, you're, or you're buying a new TV, you know, something that would fall into that price point. And it it does make things a little bit easier to pay, but it doesn't solve the full need for what's needed for for healthcare. Number one, what's needed for healthcare is for everybody to be approved, just because that's, you know, we believe in the democratization and, and uh, you know, health equity of making sure that accessibility and supply is able, you know, to be given to, to every patient that wants care. You know, our mission was how do we say yes? How do we make it affordable for them to do so? And I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it's a, it's a challenge. And the reason why uh, a lot of people haven't done it is because, you know, one example that Michelle mentioned was traditional orthodontists, which, which have done something similar. But orthodontists do have a advantage in that, you know, they, they have a, a patient coming in every month to they get the metal, what they call metal prison, right? You got the metal on their on their teeth, you got to come in and adjust it. And, and uh, it just leads to more engagement where there's less risk in a customer not paying you. But for most things in healthcare, you provide that service. And the customers, you know, have been treated and they're and they're gone. And so it's considered what's a you know an unsecuritized loan. There's no you can't go repossess a car or a house or a, you know a goods or a good that has tangible value. So it's it's viewed as riskier. And so that's why historically the big banks, big capital markets haven't want to approve the bottom half of Americans. I mean it's 150 million people that basically have been deemed as being unworthy of, of being financed for medical treatment. And again, because we spent 10 years serving this demographic, understanding them, understanding how they pay and their payment performance, we just disagree with the, the assessment. We actually think they pay a lot better than people think, a lot better than what, what most institutions would think. And good enough, as long as you create a good customer experience, make it easy for them to pay, that's, that's the, the big key. Then it's worth it for the practice to say yes to every, every patient multiple levels for actual loyalty giving that 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 person that that treatment. But if you can serve that customer that was otherwise walking out your door, then more times than not, you have a, a customer for life on that. So the Care Now Pay Later program is designed to to serve everyone. And so that's that's something as big as a three, four, five thousand dollar case. And again, traditional buy now pay later has been historically reserved for smaller dollar amounts as well as again, prime customers. So even you know, if you're financing a Peloton typically through somebody like a, a firm, which is a buy now pay later leader, only about 30 percent of people are approved for a Peloton financing. And again, it's the top, the top people. That's the big cliche about banks, right? Is uh, banks give money to the people that don't need it. And really that's what we're trying to turn on its head. Instead of instead of figuring out a way to decline people, we're figuring out a way to say yes.
0: Yeah, thank you, Tyler. And it speaks volumes, and and really is backed up by the uh, HFD's long history of serving the underserved. And then combine that with Rectangle Health's long and rich history of supporting the business side of healthcare, enabling practices to see and help more patients, Um, it's a really powerful program. Um, So Michelle, I wanna turn to you and ask, as this program rolls out and practices begin to adopt it, patients become aware of it, how do you see the current landscape we discussed earlier evolving for
2: patients? Sure, Gary. it makes it easier, and if, and if our mission is to say yes, and I believe the most important part of how this will evolve for patients and the practices is the flexibility. We have practitioners who are motivated to deliver care and treatment, and while they control the care they give, they don't have control over so many variables, such as the end cost of care or even insurance coverage. So as we try to make care more accessible, Care Now, Pay Later gives them a way to offer care in a way that does give them that control to determine what works for them and most importantly, what works for the patient. So providing options and flexibility solves the disconnect between patients who need care, providers who want to give the care, but the patient may not be able to afford it or qualify for it. So just like text messaging, we know that this is how people want to interact and engage with their healthcare providers bringing these flexible and convenient options for them is something that they are used to in their daily lives and then opens up so many more avenues to accessibility of care.
0: Thank you so much, Michelle. This program really gives hope to those patients turning down care due to cost. It's really incredible. Tyler, for practices specifically, how do you see conversations evolving between treatment coordinators and practice managers and their patients?
1: Yeah, great question. So I would say this program is designed specifically for treatment coordinators. So again, yeah, historically, a lot of the big institutions, big banks that have offered financing in this space, focus on the economics. They don't necessarily focus on the actual experience for the treatment coordinators. They sell those economics to somebody higher up in the organization, a CEO or CFO, you know, that like the idea on paper. Um, almost every time uh, there is a a pretty big disconnect between. You know, the 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 C suite and the treatment coordinators, the people actually engage in those transactions with the patient. And for years we focused historically on on that C suite member. And what we've really tried to focus on invest in the past couple of years. And this only increases dramatically with our partnership with Rectangle Health is building something that the, the treatment coordinators can be proud of, that they can own, that every pain point they've historically had, whether it was not approving everybody, partially declining people, just the administrative burden of different forms and communications, all of that is, is streamlined into just one, one arsenal that they can call their, their own and, and meet the need for every, every patient. And so I think the the conversations lead to where there's just more enthusiasm from the treatment coordinator level because you know you can't you can't make something affordable or you can't get that financing offer out there if the treatment coordinator is not willing to to champion it. And so it's something that they can buy into. And so we've seen naturally just increase in lifts overall in terms of approvals just for prime customers, let alone you know the customers that are otherwise walking out their door. And as far as the conversation with just practice managers, some of the fear that that exists is, it sounds great to, to serve like the underserved. We all want to do it, but it seems like, hey, how, how can you make the math work? Is it worth it for me to say yes to that customer? Part of that is just education in, in the market. And I think it's really compelling when they, when they know that, uh, you know, our data shows that th- the customer that was walking out their door previously is actually worth seven times more to their bottom line than the customer they're already serving. It's so sort of a complicated way to say it, but it's, it's uh, you know, if you're not serving that customer, the people coming in paying cash are paying for your overhead, you know, your the electricity, the staff, all your operations. But the customer that you're not serving actually is, is costing you a lot of profitability. Just increasing the amount of people that are able to get in and get the treatment that they need. Obviously, it helps the, the patient make a treatment affordable. It helps the uh, build loyalty with that patient. But on the practice level, it actually will drive more revenue and profitability to the customer that you previously weren't able to reach. And so it's just a win all around, win for the patient, you know, win for the, for the practice, and then you know, win, for, uh, win for the marketplace in general. You know, we want more people to have
0: access to care, especially in healthcare. Man, really amazing, Tyler. Uh, this partnership between Healthcare Finance Direct and Rectangle Health stands to be a real game changer in the, in the healthcare industry. For our listeners tuning in today, if you'd like to learn more about Care Now, Pay Later, you could do so by visiting the link in the description below or by visiting RectangleHealth.com and scheduling a time to speak with a practice solutions consultant. Michelle, Tyler, I want to thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Tyler.
0: Thanks for having me. Just a reminder, you can always tune into the Rectangle Health podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or online at RectangleHealth.com forward slash podcasts. Till next time, everybody.